From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 776, the Azure Storage Landscape with guest Carl Rothenstrauss. Recorded Monday, April 19th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Today, my guest is Carl Rottenstrauss, who is a 20-year IT veteran. He's been a system administrator and architect for Fortune 500 companies and a national technical evangelist while at NetApp. And since joining Microsoft in 2013, Carl's focused on Azure storage, backup, disaster recovery, edge computing, and high availability. And he's now a program manager with the Azure storage team, and he focuses on strategic partnerships to enable any and every workload to run in Azure. And you find him on Twitter at CloudCarl with an underscore and Ks. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate you having me. And yeah, with um, boy, it's really hard to be creative with a Twitter handle nowadays. So oh, yeah, I, I try. I tried to do something a little bit different. Well, they'll find. They'll find it. Yeah, it's, it's all a good thing. I'll I'll tweet out when the show comes out with your with your Twitter handle too. Like we'll make all those good things happen one way or the other. I really appreciate you coming on because I do think that folks are wrestling with the array of cloud file storage solutions. You know, on one hand, a lot of folks moved to M365 last year in a hurry, and OneDrive for Business just kind of seems to be the default. But I, I, I wonder if that's the most efficient way, depending on how many files you've got, versus I look at the, when you look under Azure Storage, just Azure Storage, nothing fancier than that. What do we got? Six, seven products? There's files, there's tables, there's disks, there's blobs. Like, what's a, what's a poor IT guy to do? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And boy, and it gets even worse when you start to look at the portfolio of, of partners that we have mm-hmm. as well. I mean, there, there is just a, a massive number of options. And, and you're absolutely right. I, I mean, really, that first step is looking at each category of file data and what the needs are from an end user right. perspective. Like I look at myself personally, right? I, I use OneDrive and um, SharePoint pretty extensively sure. for not only my own you know, personal files that I work on, but those that I need to collaborate with with peers and, and teammates. Uh, but there's still a need for those NetApp style, Dell Isilon style platforms mm-hmm. that have a completely different pattern and and file format and file nature that that they work with, whether it's a, a high performance compute scenario. Right. A great example is uh, seismic data that oil and gas providers will use. That's in a file format, right. and you need a massive scalable platform that can offer high capacity and high performance in order to chunk through and process that data. For that, those waves of data intake and analysis. Like last time I used NetApp hardware, which is disturbingly long time ago now, it was OLAP cubes, right? Like it really was, it was re- analyzing um, retail data. 
And we were doing spindle organizing like that. The issue we were having, you know, nobody ever calls you for an easy problem. It was a performance problem, but it oh, was, yeah. oh, look, our staging area and this data sort are actually using the same spindles. And that's why we're getting cream. Like, you know, that's the great thing about being a consultant is coming in, looking at the, looking at the transfer rate numbers and going, there's something wrong here. This is too slow. Like <laughs> you, this would be faster on a regular spinning drive by itself. And appliances are supposed to be better than that. So let's go reorganize. But uh, yeah, okay. That's a great distinction just to make right off the bat. It's like, look, for the file, I'm not that I'm not wrong to think I use OneDrive for business for the business documents, the stuff that was to that was that I eventually moved into SharePoint. You know, they that we were storing files in a file store that were our docs, and then we started using SharePoint to collaborate, but that was still really just a file store. Now I ship this up to M365, so ta-da, it all arrives in OneDrive for business. Absolutely. That is, that is a perfect distinction. Right. Is it something that is accessed by people, or is it something that's accessed by machines, machine processes, and applications? Right. And that that's really a great way to draw a, a line, a clear line, as to M365 versus traditional file storage or or modern file storage approaches like uh, blob storage right object yeah well we have we now have that flexibility to say i i want it to be more platformy than just give me disk as much disk as i want yeah that's one nice thing is that headache that you and i dealt with years ago around raid groups and separating mm -hmm. applications there, there are several technologies that have come to bear that makes the performance management, performance isolation a lot easier than it used to be. One is flash-based storage, yeah. helps tremendously. And the other is just the, the virtualization and the spread that an intelligent storage management platform can do for you. So you don't run into those noisy neighbors that are sharing isolated performance headroom oriented aspects of a, of a system. It has become quite a bit easier. Now it's more of a price performance. How much performance do I need? What am I willing to pay for that? Right. And am I overpaying where I don't need it? That's, that's an important consideration now. Well, yeah, it, um, on one hand, it's like you're saying it's easier. I'm also thinking it's way more complicated. I almost feel like the cloud <laughs> came along just at the right moment. At the moment when I was looking at, do I want NVMe? Do I want SSDs? Do I want spinning media? Like there was so suddenly there was this array of choices. Like, can I make this smart enough that the active set is on the fastest storage and the inactive set is on slower storage? And hey, can we actually go to cold storage on that? And you start looking at building that yourself and you're like, wow, I still have a day job too. Like there's a, that's a lot of moving parts. But then in some ways it seems like the Azure storage options just do this for you. You just, now you just pay for what speed you want. You, you do. There's, so there's still a, a need to, to monitor that. That's one thing that I always make clear to customers when I have this, this conversation is capacity monitoring, performance monitoring, these things don't go away right. in the cloud. There, there's no panacea there and, and full automation in that perspective. But it does make it quite a bit easier when you do receive that alert or you see an anomaly in a bill and you're wondering, why am I paying so much for this particular application? You can take action 
a lot easier because it doesn't require procurement and acquisition. Right. Those resources are there. Those faster or slower, cheaper resources are there. And you have the ability to move them without going to your procurement office and saying, I need a new shelf of disks or I need a new array. So that aspect has become easier. But setting up that monitoring up front, Mm -hmm. keeping an eye on your costs and your performance, it's it's as as important, if not more important than uh, than it was previously. What what I find interesting in that scenario, then, is you can actually make a difference in the bill month to month, then, as opposed to, I mean, normally when when we think about money as IT people, we're thinking about it on at least yearly cycles, if not like four and five year cycles when you're doing new hardware acquisition. And now you do have an ability to see month to month what what individual apps are spending in their various tiers. Absolutely. And I'll give you a great personal example. Mm-hmm. So as, as a former IT admin, I am ridiculously protective of, of my data, right? Sure. We have almost 20 years now at this point of, of family photos that sit on multiple locations, two in my house, mm-hmm. a, a, a personal MacBook, uh, a, a little NAS device that I have here in the house. Right. And then my third copy is in Azure Blob Storage. Synology has a great utility that allows you to back up to uh, cloud storage. And it's actually Azure Blob on the back end. It's actually Azure Blob on the back That's end. That's amazing. And, I made the mistake of assuming that I would have more recalls than I actually would. So I ended up paying for a higher tier of storage that charged less for recall and more for uh, storage Mm -hmm. of of that actual data. What I found out after I looked at my, my patterns on the monthly report was I never recalled a darn thing from the cloud. Right. So I switched that to a cooler, cheaper tier of storage and literally saw my bill go down that month. Right. I, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think it's a sense of responsiveness. You know, we've been teaching ourselves so long in IT to think longer term, right? To yes. be a better planner in general with that. Now that we sort of have these quicker feedback mechanisms, it's it's interesting to just think about how you plan your month in that how much time am I given month am I going to spend on tuning the bill for next month? Because exactly. Because if you wait for a year for it, you've wasted a lot of money. Like you do, it's almost like at some point in any given month, review the bill. Where you know where are the surprises? When which ones are the CFO going to call you about? <laughs> and, and then boy, that's for sure. Maybe putting a day if you just put a sign, gave yourself a day to look through this and f- do a few tunings, and then be able to look next month and say, did this make a meaningful difference or not? Did I spend my time well there? Knowing you've got an ROI of that tuning for a year or so. You know, like, the, and forever after that. That's really an interesting way to think about how my job is different living in the cloud because I have this tighter feedback mechanism to how I'm spending money. Absolutely. I mean, you have that opportunity to become a hero post deployment, which we, we normally don't no. have. Right? Yeah. Once it in goes 90s. over the wall, it's like, I had my beer. Now it's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's funny. I don't, I don't want, uh, you know, our, our listeners to think that there are no opportunities to be proactive. There mm-hmm. there are. And uh, yeah, I think we were chatting about this re- real quickly uh, before before we started today. Uh, the 
opportunity to assess your current environment before you do move anything right. to public out is absolutely something that you need to do and, and take the time to do to avoid upfront regrets. And then going forward, after you've been, you're operating, you're in production, those constant reactive tuning opportunities are there, but proactively use a tool like Azure Migrate to assess an application, assess a database before you move it, understand the requirements and the cost to run that application or database, and then move with confidence. When you say regrets, you mean gigantic bills. Absolutely. <laughs> that is a huge, huge source of regret and remorse for those who, who don't necessarily but also do mitigatable too. Like you can make that bill is, go away next month by redoing it, changing them, whatever setting, you know, what, what SQL Azure did you buy that month, right? You can set it to a different one. Uh, what storage system did you use? Could you shift it somewhere else? Like it is interesting to think that these the regrets of buying the wrong set of servers like i've had a company that spent a two comma number oh, on a data wow. warehouse that turned out a year later to be the wrong warehouse yeah that's a whole yeah. other level of regret yeah. this is fixable by next month like that's not that bad i mean you may not get it all done but you also have very clear evidence as you make progress on these problems too Absolutely. I mean, it's a fantastic get out of yeah. jail free card that, that you gain by going to the public. I, I was going to say get out of jail slightly wounded card, but okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that the CFO is still going to wave that bill at you a few months later, right? But you did do this. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah, there is mitigations that, that can be done. You're not done. You're not doomed anyway, right? It, it is interesting. But I appreciate just the reference to Azure Migrate because it does seem like the thing that Microsoft did this past year was get way more sophisticated at helping us migrate to the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we really had to. The The influx uh, during the, the COVID crisis was, uh, I mean, just overwhelming. I, I can't tell you how many internal meetings, how many calls we had with, with customers around moving desktop workloads, moving critical applications, proper network architecture to allow uninterrupted work. Uh, it, it, it was amazing what happened mm -hmm. and, and what just a forcing function COVID was for, for many of our customers. I'm astonished the cloud and the internet held together. Like, there were there Me were too, points, really. you know, early on in like the March, May, uh, April, May timeframe last year. I'm like, are we going to make it? Like, the, this our infrastructure is good, but is it this good? Like, this is a lot. And uh, I I don't know. I I'm sure That's there's going to be an opportunity to write that history, and maybe I'll do it as somebody who's prone to writing histories. Uh, to really say how close did we get? Because I remember when the EU asked Netflix to turn off the 4K features. And I'm like, that's a group of people who are worried about the bandwidth of the internet, not of a given provider. Like, that's an interesting place for us to be. But they didn't, they only turned off 4K. So, I mean, it was serious, but it wasn't that serious. If they turned off HD, okay, <laughs> where are we? 
only those people who had just purchased yeah. that 4K TV were really, really choked irate, about the whole right? thing. But it's like <laughs> the great pandemic excuse to, well, we can't do this right now because pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. boy, for sure. And, and I, I'm with you. I mean, I think of the years, the years that the telco providers here in the in the U.S. have been, uh, you know, I- instituting mm-hmm. bandwidth caps and, oh, we needed to handle the traffic. We, we see an unprecedented event, an increase yeah. in bandwidth consumption. And yet the tubes march on. The Internet stays, uh, stays, stays alive. It's, it is interesting. Yeah, huh? there's going to be a fantastic post-mortem out of this. Yeah, and we're, we're still not over it, and it's going to take a while to look back at all, at all of it. And Carl, i got to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by Sequel Intersection, back at the Swan Hotel in Orlando, June 6th to 10th. You've heard the sequel Q&A shows we publish on Run As twice a year from Sequel Intersection. That is a microcosm of the five days of awesome learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the SQL Server team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as insight into the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest version of SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the closing session of SQL Intersection and be part of the SQL Q&A show on Run As Radio. SQL Intersection is at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida, June 6th to 10th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at SQLintersection.com, and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell, and that's Karl Rottenstrauss. Did I say that right? I, as good, if not better, as I do, Richard. <laughs> uh, only a true German can pronounce that name. Yeah, the there's a, it, it there is, may be a Lugie Hawk in the middle of that somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Something <laughs> exactly. like that. It depends on where you are in Germany, too. I think the Western Germans, it's a little smoother. The further east you get, it can get pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah, I'm always embarrassed when I talk to uh, to one of my peers. We have a couple of mm-hmm. individuals on the team who are fluent speakers, and my my immediate reaction is, I cannot do what you do, and I have done a disservice to my lineage. But it is, it what, is, it is. what it is. He, you didn't pick the name; it came with, they came with the package. Can we dig into some of these Azure storage options? I mean, I mean, the first one off the top, I think that everyone grabs on it is like disks versus files. Yeah, absolutely. And fortunately, it's one of the it's one of the easier distinctions Mm. to to make. Uh, Really, with with disks, they are akin to a VHD, a VMDK, a LUN in in the SAN space is a raw device that needs to be formatted with a file system, and it can be used by a Windows or or a Linux server. Uh, so I think most of the, our, our folks out there in the community are, are very used to that format. Files, we have two Azure native offerings in this space, Azure Files and Azure NetApp Files. The difference between the two, Azure Files, which uh, was developed in, in Redmond, it's based on top of our, our core storage infrastructure, Azure NetApp Files, is a strategic partnership that we entered into with our friends at NetApp to bring their hardware and software functionality to Azure customers 
in an Azure native interface. So for a customer, there's nothing additional to roll out. You select it as a service. Both of them provide access to files over SMB SIPS protocols and over NFS protocol and are very, very fast, very performant, very scalable means for storing those shared application data sets that need to be accessed over a traditional file protocol. Okay. And so if I'm an existing user of NetApp hardware, this NetApp file services for me. Like if I I want to migrate to the cloud, to back up to the cloud, to cluster against the cloud, like what are the scenarios? Yeah, great question. So really with with Azure NetApp files, this is targeted for a migration. And you hit the nail on the head. I need, I rely on, the enterprise class highest possible performance, the rich enterprise feature set in terms of replicating my file data, protecting my file data with snapshot technology that NetApp invented Mm -hmm. almost 30 years ago now and is, I mean, uh, the the best in the business in in that space. Uh, That is what Azure NetApp Files is for. And we have massive enterprise customers, mid-sized customers, who are relying on that service and whose ability to lift and shift migrate applications to Azure was made easier through our partnership. It means not re-architecting the the infrastructure. Yeah, Absolutely. Perfect, perfect case in point, which is a great segue to Azure Blob Storage. Blob Storage will require a re-architecture of an application because... Yes, you're storing files on a very scalable file infrastructure, but you're interacting with those files through REST right. APIs. These are HTTP-based operations to write and read, and it is going to require either a re-architecture of that application or a net new application built from the ground up to take advantage of it. So these things, three things, really coexist well because of their separate access methods, their separate use cases, and the requirements that are placed on customers to adopt So I them. guess this is looking at also from a cost factor point of view. Like if I, again, I'm thinking lifted shift. So I have an existing file server on-prem, you know, one of the offices. I could VHD that and ship it up as an Azure disk. Minimum effort. Like I've changed nothing. The, the VM now lives in the cloud. Thanks for playing. But my experience has been that's kind of the most expensive way to buy Azure. It really is. It really is. And it's what are you doing and what are Mm -hmm. you running to support that service? And that model, that's a VM, it's Azure disks, it's all of the associated networking to connect to it. Azure Files is providing that file server instance for you with no compute front end required. So it's a fully managed service. There's less for you to do, to maintain, and really the activity of copying files to a managed service versus uploading a a whole file server en masse. Um, it's, It's not any more work, I mean, honestly, it, it could be even less with a, with a good copy sure. utility, like uh, our partners provide data, do- data Dynamics, Data Adobe, Comprise, they all have really simplistic tools for migrating file share content from on-premises to Azure files right. or NetApp files. Okay. 
but then and then blobs because of the different interface uh, it's got to be something that already uses that interface. I mean, interesting, you brought up the story of Synology, which I think is a great device, has this utilization on the back end of Azure Blobs. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of our partners have built that interface uh, into their products. Commvault, Veeam, Veritas, Rubrik, Cohesity, those are partners right. in the backup space who have all done the same work that Synology has. NetApp and others have written to APIs to leverage blob storage as an extension or a tier of, uh, of their offerings. Uh, and then there's a number of, of off-the-shelf applications that can leverage Azure blob storage as a backend with no coding required. So why use blobs over files? Because, you know, in the end, it's Synology is a file store. Why, not, why isn't it just storing it in files? Yeah, a fantastic question. So one is uh, scalability. An object storage platform can scale to many, many, many petabytes with no concerns over directory count, file count, things that, that have been challenging over the years for traditional file server. Right. It's why we have storage architects, because you do run into those limits and need to plan for this stuff. Exactly, exactly. Object storage was built fundamentally to overcome those uh, th those needs and challenges. And because it requires a programming interface to interact with it, there's no compute layer providing a protocol mm -hmm. front end. The cost is lower. The cost of infrastructure is lower. So the cost to use right. the service is lower. Blob storage is our least expensive storage option inside of Azure, but it does require that you bring the code or you bring a tool that can, that can leverage the backend. And referencing back to your early story about Blob, it also depends on how you configure the Blob. So you kind of have to know, are you going to be doing, are you just writing out to this as a backup and once in a while you're going to pull back or are you always interacting with it? Yes, it is the the cloud native form of, of storage. And you find some form of object storage in AWS, Azure, GCP, IBM, you, you name it. Every cloud has it. Yeah, every cloud's got a thing where you can say, here, hold this for me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And those price performance tiers are there to support the application. If it's backup, you don't necessarily need screaming yeah. performance. You want lowest cost to replace tapes. So understanding the needs, the access patterns, so you get the performance tier right and the price tier right is, is pretty critical. But Another case where you have that get out of jail free card or nearly free that I took advantage of with my Synology backups. And I switched from higher performance tier to lower cost tier and it met my needs and it reduced my monthly bill. Absolutely. I guess we haven't really talked much about backup here, but I, I think there's an instinct for most folks to say like once it's in the cloud, you're never going to lose it. Uh, is that yes yeah so it, true and i presume it's true like you guys are pretty careful you don't lose things well so this is where i i have played the killjoy for the last uh eight years here at at microsoft there there is a a level of of resiliency mm -hmm. built in you look at m365 there's versioning capabilities uh deletions are retained for right. x period of time per service you have some control over that with Azure blob storage, file storage, disks, 
there are means to protect that content and there are things that we do to make sure that in the event of a hardware failure, your environment stays up and right. your data stays intact. But in terms of protecting against deletions or ransomware malware, yeah. you exactly corruption is another great example. An application is upgraded, it corrupts that data set, that database. You do need to enable backup uh, solutions like like you do on premises. That does not change right. in the cloud, and it is a common misnomer. And I, I have. Um, it, it, it given customers a rude awakening many times by saying you still need backup. You still need a, a strategy and tools for recovering your, your data from those backups. And we provide Microsoft-based tools, and then we we retain our partnerships with folks like Commvault, sure. Veritas, Veeam, Rubrik, who all right. offer those capabilities. But on we've Azure all heard well. the ransomware stories where. They, the attackers were yeah. smart enough to wait until you'd backed up over the, the, the encrypted files over yes. all of your backups. Yes. I was engaged with a customer about a year ago, um, almost a year ago to the day, where that happened. They were backing up to a NAS device that replicated their backups to Azure mm -hmm. Cloud Storage. And the ransomware that they were hit with was particularly malicious. I mean, to your point. It waited, it found that backup repo on shared file storage on NAS, and it deleted wow. the content from that NAS, which then cascaded to Azure. And there was a way to protect that. There was a way to recover those deletions. This poor customer did not do that, and they did lose critical So this is where data. this concept of point-in-time backups... Uh, which yes. is then not writable after that. They're only readable. Like that's your defense, yes. essentially. Absolutely. We have a, a versioning capability that protects X number of days from deletion, mm -hmm. from corruption, from overwrite. Uh, and then we also have an account lock feature. So if that had, customer had done both of these, the storage account couldn't be right. deleted. And the content that was deleted could be recovered from that uh, recycled yeah, in. But you are, and it. it's for a fee, <laughs> but a heck of a lot cheaper. We, we did point and back time, point in time backup back in the day on tapes, you know, with a service that would shuffle the tapes to a vault for us and you pay for it every month. Absolutely. So the fact that there's a monthly fee for that, but you know, you own none of the hardware. I think it's, you know, it's pretty compelling all by itself, but, it, and I've just, maybe I'm recapping really a little is. here, but it's like, you're going to protect us from your hardware failing. I'm never going to get an email from Microsoft yes. saying, Hey, sorry, lost this data. Our disc failed, but you're not going, you are not going to protect me from corrupting my own data or having a malicious actor corrupt my data. You're just going to keep a synchronized copy of it for me. So it's like, don't worry. It's corrupted exactly the same here too. Yeah. We did exactly what the application wanted. But there are <laughs> features you can turn on to give you those the that backup. And then I suspect that the organization you were just talking about, if they had a six month old point in time backup, even though it was six months old, they'd still be wildly happier than they were where it's like that data is truly yeah, gone. Absolutely. Absolutely. This it was a, a bad 
yeah. bad event. That that was a shutter our doors type yeah. type of event, and you never want to see that happen to no. to anyone. And um, I, we we did a series of of blogs afterwards just to make sure that in every way, shape and form, we can make customers aware of these technologies so they can leverage them. And then our proactive alerting and monitoring tools will now let customers know that you have an account that's not protected. You should consider enabling version and versioning and point in time backups. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I did a show a little while back uh, about the Azure Security Center and the recommendations that it's making. And yes. I have seen that recommendation. It's like, you know, you're yes. not using point in time. And it's always the the IT guy, the skeptic of me is like, you're just trying to sell me more stuff. But, you know, look, point in time's a real thing, right? <laughs> like, there, there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah you're going to have to justify it. But you also, the ROI case is not that hard to write. It's really not. And, and it's continuing something that you're already doing today on, on premises. And if you're not, we have bigger problems right. we need to discuss. But <laughs> really, you should have been. Should yeah, be the number this. of should have beens is incredible. Hey, I'd be remiss uh, as our half hours winding down here not to talk about a couple of the other storage options like tables and queues. But those seem quite a bit more specialized. Uh, they, they really are. Absolutely. Those are uh, programmatic right. targets for your data. So uh, a table, Azure tables, uh, NoSQL mm -hmm. instances for storing your data, fully managed, the same levels of protection that we provide for blobs and files, multiple copies, multiple locations if you should choose. And then queues, really the same thing. That is a, a messaging right. interface. I'm able to send messages in, pick those up, digest those with my application and, and move them on. So they, they are heavily developer focused. Yeah. And I, I've done the developer conversation with some of the queue architects at Microsoft. And just for any IT person listening right now, if somebody says, don't worry, there are queues in Azure. Yes, there are. There are many queues in Azure. And picking the correct <laughs> one is not a trivial problem. I think at one point in that conversation no. with Clemens, we were up to seven different types of queue services available. And he, he, he'd been involved with them all. So he could tell the chronology of like, well, we made this. Then we got customers who needed this. So we made this new thing. It's not like the last one was the right one. It's it was this spectrum of need. Yes, absolutely. And we are no different in, in the Azure storage realm. And it gets confusing. We're putting a lot of effort uh, as of late into fully mm -hmm. outlining what the options are, why one versus another. And I'll make sure to share with, with everyone uh, a couple of URLs that, that will help in that, that decision-making yeah, process. That. Because it is complicated, but it's complicated for a reason. But I, I do appreciate this sequence we've gone through here, Carl. It's like, yeah, you use disk because you were moving VMs. But when you buy disk, you pay for disk, right? You move, you, you can use files in certain scenarios there as well and as a file store option. But again, you file storage comes with a price and you are still got the backup issues you need to figure out. Like, and then blobs is just that little bit more sophisticated, a little less expensive. Um, but gets rid of the whole architect, architecting a storage problem. Like it, it offers quite a few, uh, capabilities there and, uh, you can tune the price points even better. Um, and we, that is a 
perfect summary. I appreciate that a lot. And and the data storage conversation for the DBA types with the data lakes and the data warehouses and so forth, a whole other set of products. We've actually done a few of those shows already, but I don't know that I've ever nailed down this conversation quite as nicely as this, Carl. So I really appreciate you coming on the show to, to help us sort this out. Oh, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. And I'll make sure we get those links into the show notes. Uh, and folks can find you on Twitter as Cloud Carl with K's. That is it. They will see me tweet about Azure, craft beer, and um, my minor obsession with Tesla. That's fair. You're not the only one. <laughs> uh, Kyle Robin Strauss, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been great. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.